month, if you will turn to Romans. Uh, we are in a uh, study of the book of Romans that we began in January, and periodically I want to take a moment and review uh, what we've looked at, review these truths, help it to remind ourselves. And so, really at the end of chapter 4 is a good time to do that, at the end of chapter 8, at the end of 11, and then 12 through 16 being a, a unit as well. And so today, I, I want to remind us, I want to take a moment and remind us of the truths of Romans that we have looked at. Remind ourselves of the, uh, the preeminency of the gospel. The fact that our unity is to be found in the gospel. As we have said time and time again, in this room, there are many, many reasons for us to be divided. There are many ways that we can segregate ourselves and divide ourselves, and yet our unity is to be found in the gospel, is to flow through the gospel. These, these other issues become secondary. The primary modifier, the primary uh, thing about our lives is to be the gospel. And Paul made this explicitly clear in, at the beginning of Romans, and that's where I want to go back to, to beginning, Romans 1, 1 through 5, and show how Paul has built this argument and established this argument throughout Romans 1 through 4. Help us to understand the, the cohesiveness and the, 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 the argument that Paul is putting forth here. Remember, Paul is writing to a bunch of people whom, for the most part, he had not met, and, and he is defending his gospel. He is declaring to them the truth of the gospel. He is, in, in many ways, he is defending the faithfulness of God. The, the fact that this gospel in which Gentiles are fully able to enter is the one true gospel of the whole Bible. And that was an issue. I've been studying Romans 9 through 11 uh, the last uh, week in, in depth just for my own uh, studies, but also preparing uh, for when we get to Romans 9 through 11, because th there are some hard truths in Romans 9 through 11. And yet, even there, I was reminded of this fact, even there, Romans 9 through 11 hinges on this question. This is why Paul is writing. It is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. Here's the question. Is God faithful? That's the question. And, and Paul is dealing with that even early on. He's building to that, that the Gentiles being invited into the people of God does not bring into question the faithfulness of God. The fact that many who called themselves Israel or Jews were not in the people of God did that mean God was not faithful? And Paul's resounding answer is no. And it boils down to the truth of the gospel. The fact that, the fact that God, the, Paul, again, we saw it in Romans 3 and we will see it. One of Paul's major points is this. 
that God would be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. The dilemma of the gospel is how does a holy God reconcile sinners to himself and maintain his holiness? Again, that's not the, that is not the issue that most of us are struggling with in our minds. But please know, that is, that is the foremost issue, if you will, of the gospel. God created a perfect world. That creation rebelled. Sin, that is called sin. How does God reconcile those sinners back to himself and maintain his justness? Maintain his holiness. Maintain his righteousness. The wages of sin is death. How does God forgive sinners without them dying because of their sin? The answer is the gospel. It's 2 Corinthians 5. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. God substituted his perfectly holy righteous son in our place therefore the requirements uh, hear me the requirements of the law now have been met where if you sin you die okay god substituted his own son and his death in your place that's faith faith is me i'm not working for it i'm not trying to earn it i'm singularly putting all my eggs in Jesus' basket, that his death was in my place as my substitute, that his righteousness is now applied to my life. And that is how God sees me as, as, as justified. One time judicial act, justified through faith. But it's a gospel issue. It's seeing ourselves rightly through the gospel. And again, this is for all peoples, Jew and Gentile alike. There's not a gospel for Jews and a gospel for Gentiles. There's not an Old Testament gospel and a New Testament gospel. One gospel. Faith. And, and Paul, Paul says this right from the start in Romans 1. Look, remind, I want to remind us of this because it, it's fundamental. Six fundamental truths. You see there in your handout. We, we went over these five months ago, and I want to go back to them and show how Paul has illustrated this in the first four chapters of Romans. Six fundamental truths of the gospel that we have got to get in our heads. They've got to inform everything about our lives, how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see others. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, verse 1, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith from among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Six fundamental truths here in verses 1 through 5 that Paul expounds upon all throughout Romans. And I want to remind ourselves, no matter what we're battling, no matter what we're going through, go back to the six fundamental truths 
of the gospel. And when we declare the gospel, make sure that we're including, the, make sure that we're building it on these six fundamental truths, not our gospel of our own. The tendency is for us to make a gospel that's more palatable, more reasonable, if you will. And, and, and Paul said this in Galatians, if anyone comes to you with a gospel apart from this one true gospel, they are to be accursed. And, and if you didn't get it the first time, two, two verses later, that's in 6 and 7. Two verses later in verse 9, he says the same thing. There's lots of gospels out there. But there's only one true gospel. We need, to, we need to understand as much as humanly possible this gospel. And so, again, six fundamental truths here. Look at verse 1. The origin, you see it in your hand, that the origin of the gospel is God. A bondservant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Listen, right from the start, God, Paul is making you understand that God is the hero and the theme of everything, especially in Romans. Right from the start, everything about Paul's life was oriented towards God. It revolved, his identity, everything about Paul was oriented to the gospel. And thus it attracted attention, diverted attention back to the gospel. Paul oriented everything about his life to the gospel. And we've seen this Again, we must understand that, again, the God is the author of the gospel. He has designed the gospel, orchestrated the gospel. And, and we saw that. Go back to, again, God is the one who is making a way for sinners who have rebelled against him to be reconciled back to him. It's not that we just come to God however we want. It's not that we get to make a, hey, me and God got this deal worked out. Well, that's a lie. God is the one who has the authority to make a way for sinners to be reconciled to himself. He alone, and he in mercy and grace has done that. We don't get to work out our own deal. You don't get to work out your own way. You don't get to, you, oh, well, I got this deal and you got this. No, no, there's one way, and God is the author of that. The, the gospel is, is not man-made. It is God-centered, and we saw that. Go to verse 16 of chapter 1. Again, Paul says he is under obligation to Greeks and to barbarians to eager to preach the gospel. And listen to what he says in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of who? It's the power of God. It's not the power of man to work out their own deal. It's not the power of man to clean up their own act. It's not the power of man to devise their own ways. It's not the power of man to figure it out. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who what? believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of who God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the righteous man shall live by faith again the gospel is the power of God to make a way for sinners to be reconciled back to a holy God God is the one doing this and the gift of what he has offered is, is what is called the gospel, the good news. Again, Paul is going to deal with this in chapter 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the what? Good news. Here's the good news. In spite of your sin, 
there has been made a way by God for you to be rightly reconciled back to himself. That's the great news. That God is just, he maintains his righteousness, and he has the right ability to rightly declare righteousness on whosoever believes. The, the issue is righteousness. And we saw that in chapter 3, for there are none righteous. It, it, again, the, the, the issue is not whether you're good or not. The issue is, are you righteous? And Paul says in Romans 3, 10 through 19, there is none righteous, no, not one, none who seeks after God, none who even does good. Sin. We are all bound up in sin. And, and what Paul is saying is that everything about his life was oriented back to that fact. And again, going on in verse 18, Paul explains why God had to be the one to do this, and he explains the great grace of God in doing this, but also the uh, humanity's response. Look at verses 18 through 23. Why, why is this good news? Why is Paul eager to preach the gospel? Because the wrath of God is revealed against, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. You see the grace? For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. And listen to man's response. For even though they knew God, God has graciously made that known. He just said, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart, foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And for four weeks, we looked at this one reality, and you see it in your handout. Apart from God's intervention... All humanity sits under the justified wrath of God due their sin. God's wrath due sin is totally justified. And, and here's why. Paul explains why. Because of the humanity has spurned God. God has graciously made himself known. He has graciously made that knowledge available. He's even put it in them. Your conscience. And look what we did. You see it in the handout. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Humanity suppresses God's truth in unrighteousness. We, we, we hold it down. We ignore it. We fight it. Our conscience is, our, our conscience is telling us the right thing, and we, we suppress it. But, but not only that, we exchange God's truth for lies. We begin worshiping the replica. We begin worshiping the created over the creator. And as such, again, Paul explains that because of that, God's wrath is totally justified. God has given us all of this, showered all this grace upon us, and what do we do in return? We shun Him. We ignore Him. We suppress the truth. We make it about ourselves. I mean, Pete is going to talk about this at 11 o'clock with regards to Oasis. Every single day, 
Pete sees the suppression of God's truth, that that is a baby inside of that woman, and yet we convince or try to convince ourselves that it's not. We're suppressing the truth. Why? In our own unrighteousness. It's clearly, he's, he's made it clearly evident. And we suppress it. And, and, God, and Paul is saying this, the, God authored the one true gospel to allow that sin to rightly be forgiven. For those sinners, you and I, to be rescued. And every day, Pete gets the opportunity and his staff to, to share this gospel. And God uses these things to give opportunities for him to share the gospel with these men and women that are coming into his, into his office. To share the glorious redemption and salvation that can be had through faith in Jesus Christ. For, for any and all sin, listen, Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And God authored that. And again, what Paul is saying is that, again, this gospel was planned and orchestrated by God. It wasn't, it wasn't a reaction to our sin. It was planned from all eternity. And Paul himself was set apart for this one gospel. You, believer, have been set apart for the purpose of the gospel. God has gifted all over this room, God has gifted different people, different likes, different preferences, different abilities, different passions, all of that. Why? So that God's, so that God's men and women, so that God's people would be spread out all over the globe in every area, in every uh, school and workplace and neighborhood. Why? To preach the gospel. That's why Jesus said in John, 6, John 14 and also John 16 that, that he tells them that they'll do greater works, that the disciples will do greater works. Why? When Je greater in, in scope, if you will, because Jesus was one man in, in, in his humanity located in one specific place. He says, when I die, I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'll be all over the world in you. In you, believer. Why? For the purpose of the gospel. Not for the purpose of living the American dream. Not for the purpose of making the most of this world. Not, look, clearly in 1 Timothy 6, it's okay to enjoy things. But it's to be with the purpose of the gospel. We, we have to discipline ourselves to see ourselves as existing for the purpose of the gospel. God saved you to the glory of His name. For the purpose of furthering the gospel. God is the hero. And the gospel, you see it on your handout, is God's news for a sinful and lost world and how they can be reconciled to God and forgiven of their sin. And here it is, avoid God's wrath. What are you and I saved? We are saved from the wrath of God. The justified wrath of God do our sin. That is what God is saving you from. He is reconciling you to himself. 
He is saving you from the wrath of God due your sin. And we'll deal with this in Romans 5 specifically. But not only is God the origin and these six fundamental truths, not only is the origin of the gospel God, all of Scripture attests to the truthfulness of the gospel. All of Scripture attests. Again, look at verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Even in the Old Testament. One gospel. And, and you see it on your handout. He, he shows that the good news about Jesus Christ is firmly rooted in the Old Testament. And Paul, again, he's quick. He's got to be careful. He's got to be quick to establish a line of continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not one God in the Old Testament and a different God in the New Testament. Not one gospel in the Old Testament, a new gospel in the, old, in the, in the whatever I just said, Old Testament, New Testament. I couldn't remember which one I said. The other one. Again, this gospel was promised in the Old Testament. It was fulfilled in Christ. Huge point of Romans, the idea of fulfilled promise. Not only here in the very beginning, look, flip over to Romans 16, 26. Again, talking about the, pre, he says, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. Here, but now manifested by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God. Made to, to, has been made known to all the nations. What Again, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Paul's point in this is here, God is faithful to do what he promised to do. And, and again, that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of that Old Testament story. Everything pointed to him. And what you see, you see it in your handout, Scripture is completely about God and his gospel. Everything points to Jesus Christ. And, and again... Not all of Israel accepted this. And Gentiles are now entering the people of God that, that Jews are not a part of because they're not coming by faith. And this created issues for Paul. And the question becomes, is God faithful? And that was all over chapter 2 of Romans. Is God faithful? Go to chapter 3, verse 1. What then, what, then what advantage has the Jews or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, here it is, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true and every man a liar. The issue is with us. That, and, and that's Paul's point. Paul, God is just. All peoples, because of their sin, are under the justified condemnation of God. And they need a righteousness that is apart from themselves. They need a righteousness that is credited to them. Imputed to them. But again, that, that was the whole point of the law in the Old Testament. To expose sinfulness. To expose, here's the righteousness of God. You come to the law, guess what you do? You fall short. This is what we saw in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is the point. 
You can't work your way to God. You can't be good enough. Again, Galatians 3.24 says the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. You put a standard in front of somebody that they can't reach, and it was to cause them to look for somebody to reach the standard, to be the standard on their behalf. Enter Christ. And, and, and Israel mistook this. They missed it. And, and my, my, my hope in here is that none of us would miss this. Th- this is God's doing for, for, from eternity past, even in Romans 3.21. Look what Paul says. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by what? The law and the prophets. What what does Paul do in Romans 4? He gives an illustration from the law, an illustration of the prophets. Abraham, David, both of them by faith. Credited righteousness by faith. Romans 4, 4. God credited righteousness through his faith. Romans 4, 7. David said, how blessed is the man whom the Lord will not hold him accountable for his sin. Faith. How blessed is the man whose lawless deeds, it says in verse 7, will be forgiven. How is that possible? Faith in Christ. That's Paul's whole point. And why? Why? Again, go to verse 26 of chapter 3. So that God can, will be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. The whole point centers around the integrity of God and making sure you understand that God is faithful. If you do not believe the gospel, if you shun the gospel, if your children shun the gospel, if your loved ones shun the gospel, listen, God is still faithful. That's his whole point. He has made it clearly. He has crucified his son public for all to see, given you the scriptures, Put it in your heart. If you shun that, it doesn't make God less faithful. And that's Paul's point. But he's also making sure you understand in Romans that, that again, God, you see it in your handout, God doesn't forget his promises no matter how long it takes to fulfill them. This is a major theme, as we've seen even in Romans, that Paul will quote, listen, if every, listen, to the, listen to all the Old Testament books that Paul quotes in Romans. He quotes Genesis, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, and Habakkuk. Faith. You know what the Old Testament pointed to? Faith. Faith in Christ. Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1.16 and 17, thesis statement, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek, into the Greek. For in it, again, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for the righteous shall live by faith. Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4, faith, that's been the issue. Faith. And again, Paul is establishing the validity of his gospel. 
But this is also why the Old Testament, why the New Testament, why, why Scripture is so important to us. Why should Paul be listened to? He's putting himself on par with Isaiah, with Jeremiah, with these Old Testament prophets that this audience would have highly regarded. And he's saying, my authority, it's there. I'm preaching the same gospel. You see it on your handout. The gospel is functionally equivalent. The word there is equivalent, equivalent to Christ in the scriptures. This is the gospel. This Bible is the gospel. It is telling the story of, of our origins. It's telling the story of how sin entered the world. It's telling the story of God's faithfulness and the prophets of pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. It tells the depth of our sin and that we reject and we reject and we reject. And God continually pursues even to the point of him crucifying his son on a cross. Why? Because he's faithful. Not because you're worth it as much as he's faithful. Does he love you? Yes. But listen, his faithfulness and his name is paramount. His glory is paramount. This Bible is the story of, of, of God creating, of man spurning, and of God making a way for, for man to, and women sinners to be reconciled to God rightly. Old Testament, New Testament. One story. But C, you see it on your handout, letter C, the substance of the gospel is Christ. The origin of the gospel is God. All of Scripture attests to the truthfulness of the gospel, but the substance of the gospel is Christ. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 of Romans. Concerning His Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, go to verse 9. For God, of chapter 1, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of who? His Son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. The good news, you see it in a handout of the gospel, centers on Jesus. The crosshairs is Jesus. Luther said this, Everything in the scriptures must be understood in relation to Jesus Christ. Calvin said this, To move even a step away from Christ means to withdraw oneself from the gospel. The, the crosshairs of the gospel is not, it's, it's Christ. One gospel through Jesus Christ. Again, Daniel sang about it this morning. Da Jesus is the son of man in Daniel. He's the root in Isaiah. He's the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He's the promised one who would crush Satan's head from Genesis 3.15. It's Jesus. He's the substitute who would obey the law perfectly where we failed. It's his blood to whom all the blood of bulls and goats pointed to that would wash away our sins, Isaiah 118. Though our sins were scarlet, it's his blood that would make them white as snow. It's his blood that allows God to righteously, in Psalm 103.12, separate our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. It's Jesus' work that allows God to do that, not ours. And again, because of our sinfulness and the depth of our sinfulness, we needed a substitute. We needed a mighty man to do this for us. And, and again, this was Romans 4. 
Even great Abraham, it says in verses 4 and 5, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Or start in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has found something to boast about, but not before God. I love that part. Hey, he can boast. He can walk around boasting amongst his buddies. You know, we're real good at that. We can boast amongst our buddies. You know, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, there it is, ungodly, his faith is credited as righteous. We said last week that that word credited is a banking term. He deposits righteousness in your account. He judiciously declares through faith in Christ, God, God the judge judiciously declares sinners to be innocent of their sin. How does he do that? Because Jesus Christ paid the penalty demanded. Therefore, God is free to justify all those who have faith in Christ. And again, even, even Abraham was looking forward to Christ. Look at verses 24 and 25 of chapter 4. It is not for his sake only that it was written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification. The, who are the crosshairs on? Jesus. Who's, whose offering was sufficient once and for all? Jesus. Again, Jesus' sacrifice was so sufficient. That is why, again, God is able to save. The Bible says God is able to save all who draw near to him. Why? Because the offering has already been made. And the resurrection proved that God had accepted the offering. Therefore, God can say this, Whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Why? Because the payment has already been made. Once and for all, this is the book of Hebrews 7 through 10, a once and for all fully sufficient sacrifice has been made. Therefore, God can forgive anyone who will repent of their sin and cry out to him. And he can be just in doing that. And again, you see it on your handout. As such, Jesus is the true Son of God who existed before God sent him into the world. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus is that seed that God promised Abraham in chapter 12. Again, Galatians 3, 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed. That is who? Christ. Even Abraham, 430 years before the law, guess where the focus of the promise was? Christ. Christ. And that's why Paul, we saw last couple weeks, why Paul goes into great depth in chapter 4, talking about Abraham was, was de- declared righteous while uncircumcised, but then later he did get circumcised. Why? So that Abraham would be the father of all peoples, regardless of your ethnicity. He would be the father of the uncircumcised and the father of circumcised. 
so that God would be seen again as faithful as that your descendants, Abraham, will be more numerous than all the sands of the shore. Do you see how God is doing this? Man would never be able to orchestrate this. And, and, and again, it, it reminds me of, of, you know, if I was writing this to fool you, I would never write it like this. But you know why God's doing this? You know why God is orchestrating the gospel? And we saw this last week. Here's why God is doing this, so that you and I can't boast. Because you and I, listen, one thing we all, we could, have, we could have shirts that said this, not only unified in the gospel, unified in our boasting. Listen, we love to boast. And God has orchestrated the gospel so that it is totally by grace through faith. Why? We saw that in verses 27 through 20, 31 of chapter 3. So that no man could boast, not even the great Abraham. Where then is boasting? Is it included by what kind of law of works? No, but by faith. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Again, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yeah, the God of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith is one. That's Paul's point. Jesus, again, membership in the people of God, you see it in a handout, because of this, Membership in the people of God depends on right being rightly related to Jesus, not belonging in, in a particular ethnicity. It's not about your ethnicity. It's about faith. Jesus, born of the seed of David, royal lineage, he is the ruler. He is the Lord of all nations. The crosshairs, again, it's Jesus. Why? So that none of us can boast. And again, that's, again, that's why we're talking about a unified in the gospel, unified in the gospel. There's so much about our lives that we use to kind of quantify ourselves and describe ourselves. And, well, well, I have three kids, and you only have two, and I've, I've fostered this, and you've only done this, and my house is this, well, I do this. And but, Listen, Everything about our lives brings division until you come to the gospel. And until the gospel becomes the number one primary modifier of our lives, until that is the very first lens through which we see ourselves, even through which we see our neighbors, don't be distracted by the houses and the cars and the appearances of happiness. Apart from Christ, they are separated eternally from God, and they sit under the wrath of God, do their sin. I don't care how happy they are here. We have to, we have to discipline ourselves so that we see not only ourselves, but everyone around us through the lens of the gospel first. The number one modifier, the number one of our lives, is gospel. That's why, again, even in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every single one of us in here, I know I'm not, a, I'm not the only one who battles with this. Every single person in here has lies bouncing around their head about themselves, about others. Why? Because we have an adversary, Satan, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And Satan, what does the scripture say? He's the accuser of the brethren. 
John 8 says he's the father of all lies. Lies about ourselves, lies about where our worth is, where our lack of worth is, lies about our abilities. And this is why this is so practical. Go back to the gospel. Listen, your head is filled with a lie about yourself or about others. Go back to the gospel. Who does Jesus say that I am? I'm a child of God. I'm a fellow heir. Let that determine your identity. I don't care what your friends say about you. I don't care what your coworkers say about you. I don't care what the world says. Please, please see how this is so fundamental and practical that we have to, again, but yet we can do everything apart from the gospel as well. That's the battle. I can preach great sermons so that you applaud me. You can go to work every day and rise to the highest level of the corporate ladder and it totally be about you. You could be the best mother you could ever want to be and it totally be about you and totally bypass the glory of God and you miss an opportunity to glorify God through the gospel. Boast. We want to boast. God has designed every single one of us specifically He's equipped every single one of us to serve Him. We don't need 14 Chris's. Save your amens, please. We don't need a bunch of Raymonds. We don't need a bunch of Raouls. That's why we're called a body. Because every single person in here God has equipped to serve, to serve a function in the body. Even that is humbling. Even that is humbling. I mean, I'm probably the pinky toe, you know? What in the world do you need a pinky toe from? I don't know. But that's the point. The gospel. The scope of the gospel. D, let me hurry up. The scope of the gospel, all the nations. All the nations. The scope of the gospel is all the nations. Again, look at verse 5 through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. This is way beyond ethnicity. Again, and you see what you see here, and you see it in a handout, the gracious source and nature of Paul's ministry. He says, we have received grace and apostleship. Literally in the Greek there, it's a gracious apostleship. Paul attests everything about his life and ministry to grace. And we said this, grace is an enormous emphasis in Romans. The, the word grace, according to researchers, appears 155 times in the New Testament. Okay, 155 times. Paul accounts for 100 of those 155 uses of the word grace. Out of Paul's 100 uses, 24 of those show up in Romans. So almost one quarter of all of Paul's uses of grace appear in Romans. What does that tell us that Romans might be about? The grace of God. What, what does that tell us that the, the, the hero of our lives ought to be? When we brag, when we talk about our lives, when we talk about ourselves, what does that tell us that, that ought to be flavoring our talk about our own lives? The grace of God. And I was reminded of this yesterday. I, 
I get frustrated easily. I hate it when things don't work. I, I tried to do the right. I told, I told Karen, no good deed goes. We, we kid about this all the time. No good deed goes unpunished. I, I, I went out yesterday morning, thought I, we have some people coming over to our house tomorrow, and I thought, you know what, uh, I'll clean the pool filter. And like my opinion is if the water is clear, it's swimmable. Okay, it's clear. So I was like, no, nah, let me just go test it. And Four hours later, I'm still dealing with it because the cell breaks as I'm messing with it. And I, I mean, I'm furious. My back is burned. I'm out here four hours, what I thought was going to take about 15 minutes. And yet I was reminded, Chris, you're mad about a pool. You have a pool. You have more fresh water in that pool than some nations have to drink, Chris. You see my point? Grace. Like We're swimming in more clean water than people have to drink. Grace. I'm mad about the grace of God. And, and it's not just any grace. It, it's the grace of God that to bring about, listen, we'll never grasp Romans if we don't first grasp the grace of God. We'll never glorify God the way we ought to unless we first grasp the grace of God. I mean, I, I, this is not in my notes. I don't want to embarrass him, but uh, Leonard back there, the guy's six, seven, whatever. Like, like, he's a lineman. No one confuses me for a lineman. Guess what? Who gave, who gave Leonard the genes to be as, the size he is? The grace of God. But, but again, I'm able to do things that maybe one or two things that he can't do. You know, I can limbo lower than him, you know, grace. But, but again, it's seeing yourselves through the gospel. Listen, I wish I wasn't, I'm going to say five, six and three quarters because that helps me mentally, you know, 140 pounds. Like I, I told Karen the other day, I was like, I'm sorry again, you married a middle school. You married a person in middle school or body. I'm sorry for that. But listen, who am I, who am I, here's what I remind myself, though. I'm questioning the grace of God. I'm questioning the grace of God. That, that's the bottom line. God, God has equipped us, and he's given us this word, again, to, to magnify the grace of God, to bring about, the gospel is about the grace of God, to what? To bring about the obedience of faith in your life no matter your size no matter your lack of size no matter your hair or lack of hair no matter you what you can focus on what you can do or you can focus on what you can't do that's your call but again you're thwarting the grace of god god has equipped you every single believer romans 12 3 is going to say that he's equipped you again my job as well even in the preaching of this is to equip you to help you understand to do the work of the ministry God has done that. Romans 12, 3, he has, he has, by grace, he has apportioned every single one of us a measure of faith to live to his glory. It may be sports, it may be music, it may be art, maybe business. Do it to the glory of God. 
Use it as a ministry to bring about the, the obedience of the Gentiles, of all peoples, to faith. Treat it as a mission field. Your, your art club is a mission field. Your sports team is a mission field. Your work is a mission field. Your school is a mission field. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith. Through the gospel. And again, you see it on your handout. We cannot isolate the grace we have been saved by and the grace that we are to live by. We never wander from the gospel. And again, John Piper said this, God's grace is never owed. Our, jo- our goal, the, the goal of our lives is to be the glory of God. To boast in His grace. And this is the, one of the major themes of Romans, and you see it in our handout, is the inclusion of the Gentiles in this grace of God as His people. And we saw that in Romans chapter 2. Verse 28, the Jew is not one who is outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but, the, but, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is not, circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. For his praise is not for men, but from God. The scope of the gospel is all nations. The purpose, number there, did I switch from letters to numbers? Hopefully, I don't know. Mine, mine has been A, B, C, D, and now it says five. So that's not... Hello. The purpose of the gospel is obedience of faith. You see it there in your handout. The goal of Paul's ministry and the progress of the gospel was not just salvation, but was obedience that flows from faith. We saw this as well at the end in Romans sixteen twenty six as well, that God has been known throughout all the nations leading to the obedience of faith. Faith. We come to God through faith, and we live for God by faith. Look at one eight of chapter Romans. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because, of your, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And, and, and again, the question, again, our, our obedience matters. And, and the question, again... God's grace destroys our boasting. Why? Because it's what we're known for is faith. You see it on your handout. Fixing our eyes on the grace of God for everything through faith. And we read it, even for the sake of time, but Romans 4, 18, you know, Abraham was given a promise and he looked at him and Sarah's body and they said, there's no way this promise is happening. Yet it says, with regards to the promises of God, Abraham did not waver, but he grew stronger. Abraham's faith, you see it there, was the means through which God credited him righteousness. And it was in a promise, we said. The faith, our faith is in a promise that God is who he says he is and that Christ is enough. And the question for us, again, becomes this. How are you known? Or or even better yet, how are we known? What what are we known for as a body? What are you known for as an individual? What, what, What divides us? What unites us? Can people make it into your crowd as long as they look a certain way or act a certain way or like a certain amount of things? Or, or is what unites people into your group the gospel? 
Are people excluded from your life based on certain characteristics? Again, all of us are prone to that. Paul is destroying that. What unites us is, a, is the gospel. It's not our music choice. It's not our food choice. It's not our drink choice. It's not our clothing choice. It's not our school choice. It's none of that. It's the gospel. Even why, why are we having people over to our house this Friday for the gospel? To grow up in understanding the gospel. Why do we do F3, the gospel? Because we we've got to grow up in our, our love for one another, in our unity, in our tightness. Again, this is how the world's going to know you and I are his disciples. How? John 13, 34, and 35, our love for one another. These are opportunities for us to learn to love one another better. There's tons that divide us. And that's what Paul is dealing with, this whole Jew-Gentile battle coming together amongst great differences. It's still alive today. That's why the gospel has got to be paramount. Lastly, the goal of the gospel is to honor the name of Christ. Verses 5 through 7. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Why? For his name's sake. The ultimate reason behind everything that Paul did was not the salvation of Gentiles, but the proclamation of the name of Jesus. And, and you say, whoa, 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 hold on. Well, look at Romans 7, 9, 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this, very person I for this very purpose I raise you up to demonstrate my power in you that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Go to John 9, the man born blind. Why was he born blind? God, Jesus says it was for this very reason that he was born blind. Why? That my power would be declared at this very moment. The ultimate reason behind everything is the glory of God. John Stott said this quote, If therefore God desires every knee to bow to Jesus and every tongue to confess him, so should we. We should be jealous for the honor of his name, troubled when it remains unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honor and glory which are due it. The highest of all missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God. But rather, the number one reason is this, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. When that's paramount here, I promise you these other things will fall into place. When a passion burns for the glory of Jesus Christ more than anything else in our lives, these other things will take place. And that's what I want for us. The, 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 that, God, that the glory you see at the layer on your handout, the hope of our salvation will be our true exaltation. Where we find our most satisfaction is knowing that we've exalted Christ. That our lives would be lived as memorials to God's grace. 